Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Epiphany Church, how are you doing? Are you ready for God's word today? My name is Stephen Chandler, the senior pastor of Union Church, your brother from another mother all the way down in Maryland. And I'm honored as we get to conclude our series today called Crossing Over. Crossing Over, go ahead, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And I just want to take an opportunity and scream, shout, honor your amazing pastor, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Ty. We are grateful. We are thankful for you. What you are building here is nothing short of a move of God. And I am telling you, your best days are ahead of you. I feel like my whole purpose of being here, my mandate is to prepare you for the God-sized miracle that is heading your way. I'm telling you, you think things are going to just continue on the way that they are. You're going to step in to a move of God that you never even thought to pray for. I just sense that in my being. Hey, let's jump into God's word. Joshua chapter 5 verse 13, it says this, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, but, okay, read the verse. No, I got to preach for a second. He was by the miracle. He wasn't in the miracle. He, he was in the proximity of it, but he had not yet maximized it. He said, when he was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worship and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. We're thankful. God, for this time that we get to be together, God, in your church. God, you have brought us together, not just to encourage us, not just to give us a good word, but God, to transform our lives. This is a collision between heaven and earth. God, the world, our family, our community will forever be shifted because of what you do in these moments. God, we thank you even now that you're here. You're speaking, you're moving. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. As we conclude our series, I want to preach a message today called Managing the Miracle. Managing the Miracle. Uh, my wife, Zai, who is the best thing that has ever happened to me this side of eternity, um, she had no idea what she was getting into when she married me. Most of you probably say that. I, I, I had no idea what I was getting into when I married my spouse. I would do it all over again, but I just had no idea. What my wife did not know is she married a nomad. She married a risk taker who was just always like, hey, let's jump. Let's go for it. In the last five years, pray for my wife, I have moved her three different times. We're kind of just those people who are moving to a place. We get settled, and as soon as we get settled, we're off to the next place. Hey, let's move here. And some of it has been because of the transitions of the church or whatever it may be. But it's over those three times of moving that I have just realized that moving is no longer a part of God's will for my life. My prayer is, God, where we are right now, I'm praying we're here for decades because I hate moving. I mean, you have all the drama of 
packing up all of your stuff. And it's amazing how you don't realize, like you'll watch that show Hoarders on TV and you'll laugh at those people not realizing that we are all secretly hoarders. Even those of you who trash stuff for a living, we still have a bunch of junk that I don't know how it got here. It's all my wife's. I don't know where it came from. And it's just like, where did this stuff come from? You got to pack it all up. You got to bribe some friends to help you move and for some measly piece of pizza or whatever it may be. And here you are playing Tetris, trying to get all your junk in the back of a truck. And here's what I hate about moving the most. It's not the packing things up. It's not trying to get some friends to help you out or use a moving company, try to stuff it all into a truck. Here's what I hate. When you get to your final destination, when you get everything out of the truck into the house, when everybody goes home, you still have to unpack. You have all this different kind of stuff, all these boxes. We're, we're so bad, and my wife has when I say this, but we're so bad. We, we've been in our house for two and a half years, and we still haven't fully unpacked. We just took half those boxes, threw it in the basement, said, hey, we'll unpack them maybe when Jesus returns. Here's what I've discovered, that even after I step into something, even after I step into something that I've been praying for, believing God for, or whatever it may be, even after the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan, after the miracle, the story is not over. Matter of fact, it's after the miracle when the process begins. Because if I am just satisfied with crossing over, if I'm just satisfied with the miracle, if I'm just satisfied with moving in, I'll never maximize all that God has for me unless I learn how to manage the miracle on the other side. We've been following the children of Israel during that season where they crossed over the Jordan River. They said, hey, we are going into the promise that God has for us. They, they left two and a half tribes behind because they wanted to settle. They finally made a decision, we're going to take a step of faith. We're going to put our foot in the water. Then they crossed over to the other side. The Bible says the first thing that they did when they crossed over is they set up a monument. They put stones in that Jordan River, a, a, a memorial unto God of the miracle that he had done in that place. It's so important that as God moves in our lives that we never forget to go back and to praise him and to thank him and adore him. Hear me. The second you stop praising God for past miracles is the second you're going to lose faith that he can do new miracles in your future. It says after that they had built that memorial, then all the men in the city, they were circumcised, which represents a setting apart, a, a, a being cut away from the things of the world and being committed unto God. It's so important that we realize that when we cross over into all that God has for us, that's a time for us to lean into God, to live set apart unto God and unto ourselves. But it said all that had taken place, the children of Israel, they weren't in Jericho, they were by Jericho. They hadn't yet stepped into all the promise that God had for them. They had crossed over. And there was this encounter where Joshua, the leader of the children of Israel, he was kind of just wandering around doing all the deal. And the Bible says that he encountered a man with a sword. And he comes up to this guy and he says, hey, I feel like Joshua, he, he was a Baltimore guy. Hey, hey, oh, well, what are you doing around here? Are you for us? Or are you against us? What cracks me up about this passage is this was the same punk Joshua that God had to say like 50, 11 times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Hey, hey, Joshua, be strong. Hey, Joshua, be courageous. I don't know what happened to Joshua. He got one little miracle under his belt. 
He got one little part into the Jordan River. And next thing you know, Joshua thought he was, the, hey, are you for us or are you against us? And the angel of the Lord looked at him. And I, I, I feel like the angel of the Lord was from Baltimore, too, because he said, no. No what? Are, are you for us or against No. In other words, I don't got to explain myself, but I have now come. I'm the angel of the Lord. Here's what I discovered. That even after a miracle, if I don't understand that a miracle is the beginning of the process, it's not the end of the process. I could find myself in a position where I have a miracle, but I don't know how to manage it. I don't know how to act. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're single and you're believing God for a spouse. Well, hear me, that spouse is coming. And then how are you going to act? Because your greatest prayer right now, when it's answered, it's not the end of your story. It's actually the beginning of your story. Maybe you're launching out to start your own business and you're, you're petrified. You're not quite sure if you're going to get the revenue or the contracts or the employees or whatever. Hear me. The revenue is coming. The contracts are coming. The employees are coming. And when they come, how are you going to act? Hear me. God is going to send more souls to Epiphany Church than you can even manage. God is going to send more locations that you can even pray for. The question is, when he does, how are you going to act? Because if we don't have our mind on God, will I was actually talking to your pastor about this. I was saying so many of us, we plan for failure. We plan for our promises not to come to pass, for our prayers not to be answered. So many of us, we don't plan for success. And hear me, the lack of planning for success can be as painful as failure. If we don't plan for God to do great stuff in our lives, when he does, we're not going to know how to maximize it. As we were talking about over the last few weeks, two and a half tribes from Israel, they decided to settle and they never went into the promised land. But watch this. Of the nine and a half tribes that did go into the promised land, not one tribe, hear me, cleared all the land that God had for them. Not one tribe drove the enemy out completely, the one that God desired. Even though they stepped into the promise, not one of them maximized the promise that God has for them. And hear me, my prayer is not just that you would have a marriage, but you would maximize that marriage unto God. Not just that you would have a ministry here in Brooklyn, but you would maximize every opportunity that God has given you, that you would maximize your finances and your relationships. I don't just want a miracle. I want all that God God has for me. And the thought crossed my mind. Why is it that, that they were not able to maximize that miracle? And a, th- a couple of thoughts crossed my mind. The first one is this, that, 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 that they forgot it was a battle. Whenever I get into a situation where I've stepped into a move of God, but I'm not able to maximize it's because we forget that even after the miracle, there is a battle. The Bible says that Joshua came and he saw this angel and there was a sword in the angel's hand. Now, just for fun, you need to understand this was not an angel. This was the angel. Whenever the Bible says the angel of the Lord, the commander of the army, whenever it uses a capital letter, it's talking about Jesus Christ himself. Joshua was in the presence of Jesus. How do we know this? Because he dropped flat on his face as soon as he realized who he was in front of. And you don't do that for anybody but God. And here's the thought that crossed my mind. If Jesus had a sword in his hand, where was Joshua's sword? 
If Jesus had drawn his sword, then Joshua's sword should be out. If Jesus is ready to fight, then Joshua should have been ready to fight. But he had become complacent. He was so happy about yesterday's miracle that he forgot that there's a battle ahead of him. Hear me. And the other side of every miracle, there's a battle. Another reason why we don't maximize all that God has for us is because we think it's all about us. Joshua said, are you for me or are you against me? And the angel said, no. There's not just two sides. It's not what works out for you or what doesn't work out for you. It's what doesn't work out for God. What is God up to? The last reason why we fail to maximize miracles is because we overlook God encounters. Joshua said, God, are you for me or are you against me? He said, neither. He said, the place where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandal. These are the same words that God spoke to Moses when he was coming past the burning bush. In other words, what he's saying is, you're missing out on this moment. This is not just a normal moment. This is not just a moment encounter. This is a divine encounter that's going to change the trajectory of your life. I've discovered that if I get complacent, if I get kind of focused on how it affects me, if I, if I get complacent, I'll step into a miracle. But I'll forfeit. You know how the Bible says that God's word, it, it returns 30, 60, or 100 fold. In other words, you can maximize 20% of the miracle that God had for you, ouch, and leave 80% on the table. You can maximize 60% or you can maximize 100%. I don't know about you, but I'm just spiritually greedy. I want everything that God has for me. And my prayer is, God, teach me how to maximize every open door, every miracle, every move of God in my life. I want to give you just three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. How do I maximize the miracle that God's given me? The first one is this, remain battle ready. If you're going to maximize the miracle that God has for you, remain battle ready. There's this phrase in the business world that nothing fails like success. There's nothing like success that will cause you to rock back on your feet, cause you to get complacent, cause you to begin to take things for granted. I, I always say this, whenever it comes, I don't know if you're a sports fan, I've done well. Four weeks and I haven't used one sports analogy. I'm, I'm redeemed. God's working on me. But I'm just a sports junkie. I love football, love basketball, love almost anything. And every time it comes to championship season, whether it's the Super Bowl, whether it's the NBA Finals, the World Series, or whatever it may be, Oftentimes, when I'm picking who I think is going to win, it's normally going to be the team that lost the championship last year. And what do you mean by there's something about the taste of defeat that puts a hunger and a desperation inside of you that the taste of victory kind of just takes away. There's something about being successful that sometimes you're just not as hungry. You're just not as passionate. You're just not as desperate as you were before you experienced that success. If you're going to take hold of all that God has for you, you have to learn how to remain battle ready. I remember one of the greatest victories we experienced uh, in our church was actually a building that God gave us about two, three years ago. We were in a portable location. We were in a high school auditorium, and the church was growing. We just didn't have our own facility. And 
I remember standing up in front of the entire church and said, hey, we have to raise a million dollars before we're able to purchase or even lease the facility that we needed. No pressure whatsoever. It'll probably take us about two, two years, 200 years, two years to be able to save and raise that money. So I was really kind of just being a good leader and trying to help them see like, hey, we're going to be here for the next two years. Well, long story short, four weeks later, a church reached out to us and said, hey, we have a building that we've invested $800,000 of renovations to. It's already taken care of. We just want to walk away. Would you be interested in taking over that building? Watch this. God did in four weeks what I thought was going to take two years. I mean, it was a miracle. I announced it in the church a few weeks later. Everybody went crazy. We were ready to go. We went in. We renovated. We, we packed up all that other good stuff. And I remember that day that we moved in on that first Sunday. It was like revival in that place. We were bugging out. We were celebrating. We were screaming. It was amazing. Well, watch this. Four weeks after we moved into that new building, our church doubled in size. You got to understand the story of our church for the first seven years. We had never doubled. We had just grown what I thought to be slowly and consistently. And all of a sudden, in four weeks, we double in size. Well, come on. Praise God. We've doubled. Amen. Uh, you know what doubling in size means? It means double the kids to take care of in kids' ministry. It means double the volunteers. It means the service doubled. I mean, all of a sudden, all of this new responsibility came on us. And if I could be honest with you, we were so busy celebrating the miracle of the building that it never even crossed our mind that there was something on the other side of it. Hear me. You're going to maximize all that God has for you. You have to remain in a ready position. I'm battle ready. But hear me. Don't ever miss the fact that the battle is not yours. While we're battle ready, we're not ready to go fight the battle by ourselves because it's God who fights for us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, it says this, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. While we remain battle ready, it's not our battle to fight. It's God's battle. Then why do we need to be ready? Because we need to be ready to call on the God that will fight that battle on our behalf. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, it says this, Behold, I am coming as a thief in the night. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is probably one of my favorite passages. I actually just preached a message called Stay Awake and Keep Your Clothes On. Here's what Jesus said in Revelations. He said, hey, when I'm coming, it's going to be unpredictable. You're not going to see me coming. So the best thing you can do is to watch and to keep your clothes on, to, to remain in that position of being battle ready. Here's what he means by that. That watch means to be alert spiritually. Like I said before, if Jesus' sword was drawn, Joshua's sword should have been drawn. But what happened is Joshua stopped watching to see where the threats came. If I'm battle ready, I have to stay in a position where I'm watching to see what's the enemy up to and where is God looking to move in my life. Let me give you an example 
For so many of us, as we're believing God for great things, we're fasting, we're praying, we're seeking, and we're asking that he pushed back the enemy and that he would do it in our life. Maybe you, you were single and you were praying for a spouse. Maybe you were unable to have children. You were praying for a child or praying for increase in your business or whatever it may be. Here's my question. Did your prayer life before the miracle, did it match your prayer life after? Did you pray just as intensely to sustain what you prayed to breakthrough? Because literally, as we're in a position of watching God, what are you up to? We're able to call on him immediately when something comes up. We're able to call on him when it's time to move forward instead of being caught off guard. I find for me, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare, I'm often caught off guard. It's not until there's like two or three different things that take off that I realize, oh my gosh, this isn't natural. This isn't just happenstance. This is the enemy. God is saying, hey, if you're, if you're going to take hold of all that I have for you, you got to stay in a position where you're constantly saying, God, what are you up to? Then it says, hey, keep your clothes on. When it talks about keeping your clothes on, it talks about your righteousness, your right standing with God, that garment of praise. Here's why. Because when we don't live a holy life, when we don't live a righteous life, we get paranoid that God is out to get us. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. He died on the cross to draw us near and to wipe our sins away. He is not some God up there with a big stick waiting for karma to hit you. He's a God with his arms open wide looking to cover you. But because guilt and shame puts us in a position where we're just like, oh, I don't want to deal with God right now. We're hiding from him. And here's what he's saying. Hey, make sure you keep your righteousness. Make sure you keep your holiness. Make sure you keep set apart with me so that when I step in and I'm ready to move, you're not hiding from me, but you're running towards me. If we're going to maximize all that God has for us, we have to remain battle ready. The second thing is this. We have to remain kingdom focused. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. Joshua has some type of swag. Like he goes from this insecure, timid leader that God is reminding over and over and over again, hey, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. All of a sudden into this guy was like, hey, are you for me or are you against me? In other words, Joshua only saw two sides. He only saw there's how things work out for me and how things affect me. And then there's things how they hurt me and how they set me back. One of the things that I love about scripture is it reveals our heart when sometimes we're not honest enough to reveal our own heart. Joshua said, here's the only thing I'm worried about is what's in it for me? How does it affect me? How does it impact me? I've discovered, and maybe I'll just throw myself under the bus and then you could just jump under that bus with me. For so many things in my life, when a door opens, I'm really only thinking about how it affects me. What, what, what do I get out of this? How, how is it going to inconvenience me? What is it going to do for me? And I've discovered as soon as my eyes get inward focus is the second, it's the moment that I'm forfeiting, maximizing all that God has for me. Yes, God blessed you with a beautiful child. But that beautiful child was not only just to make your family complete. He has a purpose for that child. Yes, God blessed you with a business that's beyond anything that you can ever ask, think, or imagine. But hear me, that business is not just to provide for you and your children and your family. There's a kingdom purpose to that business. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, in all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. 
I remember back when I was in college, right before I had left, God had lit my heart on fire for him. I finally made the decision, there's nothing I want to do with the rest of my life but preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to any and every single person that would listen. I went to the best school on planet Earth, University of Maryland, College Park, fear the turtle. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I remember I was in school and it was kind of just the season. I was a youth pastor at my dad's church. I was driving 45 minutes up every Wednesday for a leadership meeting, driving up 45 minutes and back again on Friday for student ministry. And then I was leading prayer and then I was leading worship and I was just driving up and down I-95 in Maryland. I was kind of exhausted. And, and I remember this, this moment in particular. I was in my dorm room. We were on the sixth floor. And as I looked out the window, I could see kind of the courtyard where all the students were just kind of rushing around to their classes. And I remember just saying, God, this is not fair. Everybody here is kind of living for themselves. They're not thinking about you. They're not honoring you. They're doing their own deal. And it looks to me like they're the ones that are getting the internships. And they're the ones that are getting favor with their professors. And they're the ones that are getting job offers junior year before they ever get out. And God says, I'm honoring you. And God, I don't see any results. I feel like I'm being overlooked. God is my witness. I can't say I heard an audible voice. It was really just my conscience. But I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Stephen, their success is no interest of mine. I was like, ooh. So you hear, because they're living for them, their promotion does nothing for my kingdom. He said, but Stephen, if you would make your life all about my kingdom, then your success and your promotion will become my focus. Because I know every new door that I open for you, I'm opening a door for the kingdom of God. Here's what I've discovered. Hear me. If I can turn everything that I do into advancing the kingdom of God and not just advancing Stephen, then God will actually have a desire to advance Stephen because he knows everywhere Stephen goes, Jesus is going to be glorified. Every door that I open for him is not going to be a door that he opens for him. It's going to be a door that he opens for the kingdom. Hear me. If God gave you a promotion, would the kingdom get a promotion? If God were to open a door of favor in your life, would a door of favor be open for the kingdom? If we can learn to be a people that everything that God you do in my life, I'm going to find a way to make it kingdom and not just make it personal. Watch God. I always scream. Come down. I think sometimes God gives you 10% of the miracle to see what you're going to do with it. He's going to see, I'm only going to give you 10% to see, are you going to use it to bring glory unto me or are you going to hoard it onto yourself? I, I don't know why I picked 10%. That sounds like the number of tithing, but watch this. If we would be so focused on God, whatever you do in my life, I'm going to use it to glorify you. Watch him grow it into something bigger than he showed you in the beginning. God, I'm grateful for this marriage. God, but we're, go we're going to be a house that we're always hosting Bible study. We're going to be a marriage that we're always pointing people back to you. God, I'm grateful for this job, and I'm not going to be like one of those crazy people that's always preaching the gospel in the lunchroom or whatever it may be. But God, as you bring divine encounters, as you bring moments, I'm going to make sure that I'm able to share the gospel, the hope, and the freedom of God on my job. And if we would be a people that turns everything into kingdom, watch him work it out for our good. Matter of fact... Here's what God said. He said, if you're a person that doesn't turn everything into kingdom, not only are you not helping me, but you're hindering me. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, it says this, he who is not with me is against me. 
And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. In other words, what God was saying is there's no neutral zone. Either everything you do in your life is used to point people to Jesus, or you're actually deterring people from Jesus. <laughs> I'm not working against God. I'm offended. Like, you've been here too long. You need to go back home. I will. Calm down. But here's what God is saying. If you're really a follower of me, if you really believe that I am the hope of the world, if you really believe all that you have, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, then everything that you do is going to point back to me. And if everything we do doesn't point back to God, it actually nullifies the gospel that we're telling the world is the hope of their lives because it's either our everything or it's not. God says, hey, if you would be a person that, God, everything you give me, I'm going to figure out how to give it back to you. Watch him grow it bigger and greater than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. The last thing is this. we got to remain on our face. Remain on your face. So here it is, Joshua. I love how Joshua bounces back quickly. He's all confident. Are you for me or are you against me? Neither. And the commander of the Lord's army and I have now come and said instantly, Joshua drops on his face. The angel said, take your sandals off for the place where you stand. It's holy. Watch this. It's on Joshua's face that that angel said, here's how we're going to take Jericho. You're going to march around six times in silence. On the seventh day, you're going to march around six times. And on the seventh time, you're going to shout. And in that shout, you're going to see those walls come down. Watch this. It's in that position on his face that God downloads supernatural strategy to take hold of the miracle that he had for them. Yes, they had gotten over the Jordan, but the Bible said they were by their promise, not in their promise. I've discovered that God will download things into my heart when I am on my face, when I'm desperately pursuing him, that he will not give me in any other way or season of my life. To be honest with you, what God's done through my life, I didn't pray for it, and it's blown my mind. But I know why. I remember in those moments of being 16 years old and Breaking, I didn't say breaking, I had the key, but I broke into my dad's church on a Friday night. Everybody out at the football game or living their life. And I'm just on the keys playing, tears streaming down my face as I'm worshiping God. I remember at 16, God showing me visions of what I'm walking in now at 34. I remember those moments of just kind of being locked away with God where God began to tell me who he had called me to be regardless of who people wanted me to be. When God told me, hey, I'm putting words in your mouth that's going to transform people's lives, even though you're too shy to speak to one person right now. Here's what I've discovered. It was those seasons of desperately pursuing God that he downloaded vision and strategy in my heart for what he's called me to do in this moment. When I stay on my face, God gives me everything that I need to maximize the miracle. Here's the problem. Y'all, it's hard to stay on your face. It's easy to drop on your face when life has knocked you down. When sickness is ravaging your body, when there's contention in your marriage, when there's drama here or drama there or whatever, maybe it, it, it's kind of easy to be desperate for God when you have no other options around you. 
I've found my greatest struggle is not when things are bad. The greatest struggle is after I've experienced the miracle. After I've experienced the goodness of God. After God's opened a door that I didn't see him opening. After God's blessed me in a way that I didn't even know he could bless me in. And I was like, man, this is good. And here, just Stephen, here's been my greatest struggle. How do I keep a desperation for God when there's not much for me to cry about in my life? How do I keep a heart posture where I'm down on my face saying, God, speak to me? When there's so much for me to stand up and look at. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 55, 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. This verse is something that people kind of wrestle with. Oh, and I thought God was Emmanuel. I thought he was always near. It's another passage that seeks the Lord before it's too late. And I've realized that it's never that God leaves me. Sometimes it's my self-security that causes me to leave him. It's never that God's not speaking. But sometimes it's the voices of self-reliance that ring so loud in my ear that I can't hear from him. And I think what Isaiah is saying is, hey, before you get so locked in on what he's already done and the success that you already have, make sure that you stay in a position where you're desperately seeking him. Make an attitude in your heart that there's nothing that God can bless me with that will deviate my attention from pursuing his face and not just his hand. And watch this. God won't just give you a miracle. God won't just answer a prayer. But God will increase it to something that is beyond anything that you can ever ask, think, or the goal was never to cross the Jordan. The goal was to take hold of the promised land that God had for them. Marriage was never the goal. A godly marriage that reflects the glory and the love of God was always the goal. Having children was never the goal. Raising world changers was always the goal. Having enough money not to worry about bills was never the goal. Having more than enough so that we could be generous on every single occasion and through our generosity bring glory unto God was always the goal. Let's never become a people where we're so enamored with the first step that we allow it to deviate us, to take our desperation for God away. Let us be a people where we say, God, we want your face more than your hand. I'm telling you, if we would be a people that we stay in a position of desperation towards God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store. I love you. Hey, can I pray for you? Father God, we're grateful. God, that you have been good to us. God, you've been more good than we can ever comprehend. God, you've done things in our lives that we didn't even know to pray for. And yet, God, you have just begun. And God, you are going to see this work to completion. God, I pray over this church right now. God, they haven't even scratched the surface of, God, what you want to do through Epiphany. But God, as we lean into you, God, we know you're going to drive back the enemy. God, you're going to open doors that no man can shut. 
you're going to use us in ways that we never thought possible. Right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe you find yourself in a position where you're taking this journey of life, but you're doing it without the giver of life himself, and that's Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church. You just never had a relationship with the God of the church. Or maybe all of this is new to you. Somebody sent you a link and you just kind of tuned in. But here's what I know. It doesn't matter how far you've drifted. It doesn't matter how ashamed you are of your life. There's a God that loves you just the way that you are. But he doesn't want to keep you the way that you are. I know that he's just waiting for you to take one step towards him. If you say, Pastor, I don't even know how it's all going to work out. I just know I'm tired of doing this thing without God. I need him in my life. If that's you right where you are, whether you're coming to God for the first time or you're returning to God, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for wanting me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for having a plan for me. Thank you for so believing in me that you were willing to die on a cross so all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Today, I surrender. I give you full control of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. I love you.